Thong family to lead us in the reading of the Old Testament and of the epistle. Lesson from the Old Testament, Isaiah 66, 10 through 14. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may be nursed and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nation like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem, you shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show you, no, show his indignation against his enemies. Lesson from the Ellipsals, False Corinthians. Eight one two thirteen. Now concerning food offered to the idols, we know all of us possess this knowledge. This knowledge puts up, but loves to build. If anyone imagines that he knows something. He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as an eating of food offered to the idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. God, the Father from the, the Father from whom all things and uh, whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things exist, through whom all things and through whom we existed. However, we should not possess this knowledge. knowledge but some form, but some the formal association of idols eat food. Really awful, my idol. The conscience, the conscience is defiled. Food, food will not be committed us to God. We are no worse off if we do not, eat, and no better off if we do. But. Uh, but uh, but take care that is the light of yours the some that how we um a stumbling block a stumbling block to the weak for if anyone sees you who have the knowledge of eating and idols of eating. Of eating 
praying in an idol's temple will not be will he not be in college if his conscience is weak to eat food offered by idols so and so oh by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed the bottle from whom Christ died okay thus sinning against your bottles and wounding from your conscience and wounding your conscience when it is weak you sin against Christ therefore if food makes my bottle stumble I never eat me eat lest I make my bottle stumble the Lord of the the Lord of the Lord. I think everyone would agree that there's something broken about uh, discourse in in our country these days. There are factions all around. People don't come together. They don't reconcile. They kind of stay split. Um, We see it in the political sphere. Uh, We see it all around us. If you hear this word, it's called tribalism. You know, it's the idea that groups stay together no matter what, through thick or thin, regardless of whether you disagree or agree agree with them. So there's very little little movement within within those groups. not only do we see it at that level, you know, we, we see it within the church. We see, we see factionalism. We see breaking apart uh, of, of groups um, and, and, and the lack of, of dialogue, lack of, lack of unity. Uh, there is hope. Um, and, and this weird passage that we're going to talk about, about idle meat, uh, gives us a, a glimpse uh, into the gospel and, and a perspective I think that we can take into, into this world, uh, into this world that we live in today uh, that can help, uh, help us um, have a vision for, for Christ, a vision for how God can speak through us and how God is speaking to us and to our, to our fallen world. Let's start with, uh, with prayer. God, uh, we're thankful that this morning that we can worship you here, um, that we can come together as a group uh, unified in our purpose of serving you, um, of loving you, and of of loving others. God, pray that you would uh, use me to preach your word, um, that that everyone here would draw draw closer to you uh, through your spirit. and, and that we would be uplifted uh, by your gospel. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the book of, of 1 Corinthians, um, I studied this in, in seminary, and I was really kind of taken aback when I first started digging into this because one of the main themes of this, call it letter, it's more appropriate, I thought of it as a letter, is, is unity. Uh, when you think about like the church theology, those kind of things, unity doesn't always feel like it's one of the main things that we talk about. We talk about 
theology, you know, the, idea, the ideas about God or Jesus or um, that's, those are kind of things that we think about as being sort of these biblical concepts. But unity, it doesn't, it doesn't often come through. So I, I saw this, I'm like, wow, you know, this was part of the message of God is, is for us to be unified. Um, and you see this in verse 1, in, in the, kind of the beginning of the, of the book, or sorry, verse 110, Paul says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same purpose. So I think there's a lot in this, this book, in this letter from Paul to the Corinthians, um, that we can learn from. So I'll kind of go back through some, a little bit of the, 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 the time and place in which this was written and what the church looks like, and then we'll kind of dive into what the dispute, dispute is. So uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And Corinth is in the southern part of Greece. And Corinth sits between two sort of key bays where you can avoid going to the Medi- through the Mediterranean and all of the stormy weather and par- par- peril of that journey by going kind of through these two bays. Think of it almost like, you know, Panama. And so at that time, this is about 50 uh, A.D., this was a key port city, a key passage uh, through the ancient world connecting Italy, where Rome was, and Asia. Um, and so in this area, there is lots of commerce, lots of people kind of coming, coming and going. And this city had been completely destroyed about 250 years ago and then rebuilt by Emperor Julius Caesar um, about 100 years before this letter was written. And what happened with this city is that uh, because it was a new city, uh, there were all kinds of people going there to engage in commerce and, and engage in kind of the new, the new world because there was an opportunity not only for you to make money, there was also a, an interesting thing where if you're a former slave, there were no limitations on you becoming a, a government official. So you could rise up into power from the position of slavery all the way up through the ranks in, in the city. Uh, so people would go, go to this city to engage in commerce, but they'd also go for a better life. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of like, like America today, where people go and they, they seek out a, a better life. But as a result, there's also the ideal of the god of social mobility. You can improve your, your, your lot in life uh, in, in Corinth. Um, another facet of Corinth was that, like all these ancient cities, there were pagan idols everywhere. So in um, you'd see st- statues in the, the key marketplace. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a giant statue there. Not only are there statues to sort of the, the ancient um, Greek gods, but you'd also see statues of so the Roman uh, emperors. So the the, the the Rome sort of took hold of this all of this this these pagan rituals and sort of used them for their their benefit. And so you'd see. Um, statues to Julius Caesar, Lord Julius Caesar, and all that. And so all around, the idea here was that through these idols, through these gods and lords, you could better your life by praying to them and participating in, um, in this pagan, pagan worship. So I think this is like going to help you in your lot in life. It might help bring uh, rain. It may help bring you uh, uh, fertility and children. 
which is how you would create economic benefit for yourself. Um, and then another facet here is that there are a lot, there's a lot of diversity within this church because of where these people are coming. They're, they're uh, Jewish Christians. It's part of this church. Uh, there are tons of poor people. So, and poor people to the degree that we don't even appreciate here. These are people that are living day to day that don't have food. Um, and they're just striving for the next, the next meal. Um, and then you also see, even within this church, some wealthy officials, some people that had moved up in, in life. And so all these people are coming together in this, in this church uh, that we have in Corinth. And they are writing to Paul, who had founded this church a couple years before, and they've got this whole list of, of issues. Paul, can you help us settle all these disputes? There's, we think there's this sexual immorality going on. There's this dispute, this legal dispute between two Christians that's completely broken. Um, we're, we're fighting over this issue of idle meat and whether or not we should be eating idle meat. And that's kind of where we come to in, in our passage. So in, in verse 1 here, eight, Paul says, And now concerning this food sacrifice to, to idols. So there are two kind of positions here that you, that you see. Um, one is what we'll call, call the, like the strong Christians in the group. And we call them that because in this passage they refer to the, peop- the people whose conscience is damaged as weak. So they'll say, okay, you're, you're strong. This, uh, this group that is strong. And the interesting thing about um, their position, they, they really have a, a solid like, biblical pers- pers- uh, position on, on why they should be allowed to eat um, idle meat. So it says in verse 4... Um, they have, well, it says they have this knowledge. And what is this knowledge? In verse 4 it says, um, the objects around you, these idols, they have no real power. These, like, these are false gods. They're not real gods. We know that the true God is the God of Israel. So they're saying, like, why, why do we care whether there's these just images of nothing around us? We care about the true God, the God that actually has power over, over the world, not these, these sort of so-called gods. And then they, what they would also say is, is something like this, that we're free in Christ. We don't have to follow that old law that you'd see in the, in the, in the Old Testament. We're not bound by that anymore. We're liberated. We're free. We're bound by the law of Christ now, but that gives us freedom to do what we want. And since we know these laws aren't, since we know these idols aren't real, we can do this. Now, again, so strong, strong rational argument, you might say, like biblically based argument. Uh, one other thing about this argument that I think that's that does, that's kind of enlightening is that um, these the what the strong Christians kind of get out of out of this. They, so they they would be they would participate. In these cities, you participate in these pagan rituals uh, because it, it would bring you sort of um, benefit. This is where the action happened in town. This is where you would go like, to meet, meet other movers and shakers. And it's considered um, you know, part of the... Of, you're, you're participating in, in, your, in your civic duty, in a sense, to, to, to go to these things. So people that want upward mobility they would feel it important to go to these. And they would also feel, like, this is everyday life. We go, we, see meat, we have meat, we, we do this. And so these idols are nothing. Um, we know there's only one God. Why can't we go? 
and go to these, eat, eat this meat that's not, doesn't really matter it's a, whether it's sacrificed or not. The meat's not important. It's Jesus Christ that's important. So let's just go, go eat this. <clears throat> so the, there's a risk to not going as, as well to these, for these people. The risk would be like you would lose potentially some of your social standing if you didn't, if you didn't go to these, these festivals, if you didn't eat this, eat this meat. All right, so then you have these weak Christians. This is the other side of the, of the ar- argument here. Um, and they're, they're saying, they're probably pointing to, the, some of the Jewish Christians there would say, listen, we have never, we've never been associated with idols. We've ne- it's always been part of, our, of who we are. Like, God wants us to abstain, to separate from idol practices. So we're really not comfortable with this. And then you'd have some, uh, some newer Christians who had been a part of this lifestyle. It meant something to them. They thought it was real. And now there's, someone's telling them they should go back and do this that it, that, and, and just forget that all these pagan practices, that they're not, there's nothing real there, and they're feeling torn by it. It reminds me kind of, a, a, in a sense, of a, if you've had struggle with alcohol and you've been in AA and you've kind of gone away, and now your friends are encouraging you to go, since you're cured, you, go to the church, you can go to the bar and... And they can drink, and um, you're just supposed to go along with it. Even though you're not going to drink, you're supposed to go, go along with it. There's something about being in that environment that's, that's, you know, get, that gets at your conscience, that, that, tears, that tears away at you. And so they, they're saying to, to Paul, you know, should we, be, should we be doing this? These other, other Christians are saying that this is okay, but we don't feel right about, about this. So, so we've got a dispute between two people, and we think, you know, the strong Christians, they have, they have a good, they have good foundation. And, they, and in his letter, we basically see Paul saying at this point, you know, you guys are right. You're right. But the interesting thing is, it, Paul sort of turns this all on its head, and it says it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, because... The thing that's important is that you're reshaped into Christ and that you have the perspective of Christ, that you have a new form perspective on things. It's not whether or not you can win this argument or not. It's how are you, how are you uh, engaging with others here. The governing principle for, for Paul here isn't whether you're right or wrong, whether you can win the argument. It's are you, are you bringing sacrificial love to this? How are you thinking about the others? You know, here he says, we've got this situation at the beginning where he talks about knowledge. Um, knowledge, build, uh, making people you know, feel like the strength is within them and it being sort of thin. It doesn't last. You know, it, pu- it puffs up. But love builds up. Love is a solid foundation on which you can build lasting things. And so he's contrasting what you get from debating just the logic of it versus considering the other and loving, loving the other and treating that as, the, as your primary goal. You know, what's, what's at the core here is what we call Christology. It's, it's, the, it's how you think about Christ. Um, and for Paul, it's all about the imitation of Christ. Um, 
So it, the, the, this section of the letter um, is it's part of a broader section on kind of on idle meat, but Paul ends this whole section with saying this key, kind of ra- wrapping it up with one, one key phrase, or um, one key sentence. Imitate me just as I am imitating the Messiah. Imitate me just as I am imitating the Messiah. Now, if you, see, if you look at what, he, what he's doing here, he's saying, you're, you're seeking after this benefit for yourselves, but what you're, at, what you're asking these other Christians to do is causing them to stumble. And you're not seeking after them. You're seeking after, you're seeking after yourself. And he, what he's saying is, I, w- I want you to follow, follow me in my following of Christ. Paul isn't the end, it's Christ. But in this path of following Christ. So what does that look, what does that look like to, fo- to follow Christ? Paul doesn't, like, doesn't reference this directly in the letter, but I think it's perfectly encapsulated in Philippians 2. And so bear with me as I, as I read this, because I think this, this, is, the, this is the model that, that we have. This is... This is what we, what we, what we seek to as, as we deal with these, with these issues, with these disputes. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. So here, at the beginning, he's saying, like, be unified around this. And what, what is it, this? Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the God the Father." What Paul is saying is that when we participate with Christ, we also participate in self-emptying, in, in giving of ourselves for, for others, giving up winning the argument, maybe even giving up like something that you might know is beneficial to, 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 to you, but in somehow seeking reconciliation and seeking the good of the other. This doesn't mean like that you just should always give in to like whatever faulty logic or things that are self-destructive. But what it means is that the perspective has to change. It has to change from, I need to, I need to win this, do this. I need to do this too. God is going to fulfill what's good in the world. I can trust in God. And how do I actualize it? I actualize that by loving others first, seeking them first rather than trying to, to play God or think that this is all about, about me.
You know, there's a, I think there's a, there's a cost to this oftentimes. Um, it's, not, it's not easy to do. So, you know, the, these, these Christians that, were for, that Paul was talking to, these strong Christians, he's basically asking them to forego their upward mobility. It might even mean their livelihood. Um, they've got to probably be ostracized in their community for not participating in these like, key events and things that are happening there. It's like the neighborhood party. You're not going to go to the neighborhood. What do you mean you're not going to the block party on the neighborhood? Like, you're not, the way that others would say is, you're not um, a key person of, of our neighborhood. You're not a, tr- a true, like, neighborhood person. Sorry for the lack of a <laughs> good description there. Um, but we're called to be, in a sense, resin aliens, in a sense. We're not drawn to this. We're, we're here loving these people, but we're part of another kingdom. And so there is a, there is a cost to loving. There is a cost to self-sacrifice. So I've seen, I've seen this in, 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 in so many of you. Um, unfortunately, the most recent illustration, I think, is from, from my wife, who's not here. She's sick today. But, um, so she's an event planner, and she... Um, so they plan, they plan weddings. And she had a recent event where someone left the most horrific review. She had a one-star review. If you do an online business, that's, that's, very, that's really bad. And I'm sure most of you, if you see a one-star review on something, you're like, okay, this is, I don't want to do business with a one-star. Someone that's got a one-star review. Um, so she really cares about her brand. And, and so she started to engage in this and talk to this person and went back through the contract and realized that this person had actually left some incorrect statements on, online. She had said things that weren't true. Um, and she had the, the, con- the evidence in emails backing up the contract. Uh, but in the process of engaging with this person, she realized that, that winning this online review, getting it turned to a five-star, getting it taken off, wasn't, the, wasn't what God was calling her to do. It was really to love this person and try to engage with them and not disparage them online or win. You know, I don't, I don't know if she, if she changed the person's perspective ultimately, but I have to think that, she, that the outcome was definitely for the better. She didn't write something disparaging. She, she tried to li- write some letters in love and tried to engage in dialogue and at some, point, at some point, you've got to think that this hopefully will, will help this, this individual. But I think that's the perspective that we're supposed to take when we, when we have disputes with others. How can I love them? How, how can we reconcile? There's another, there's another I think, interesting um, thing that we get out of this in terms of dealing with, dealing with disputes um, that Paul alludes to here. In verses 2 through 3, he says that the important thing is not knowledge, to know, um, kind of in an active sense, but to be be known. So ultimately, the important thing is is that the God who created the universe, the God, uh, our Messiah, the God who's in control, ultimately, that's... 
that's whose agency we need to depend on. It's, it's, it's him. It's not about us. And we didn't die on the cross for our sins. You know, it's, it's Jesus that died on the cross for our sins. So the more we recognize that, it, that our salvation isn't because of ourselves, but because of God, I think the more humility we bring to situations, the more we recognize and kind of can, can surrender things to God and recognize that maybe we don't have every, we don't know everything. Maybe we need to be, we need to listen first. So our, our position kind of in, these, in this should be that those of, of, of people that uh, are accepting the grace of God, that are receiving something, that are blessed with something, not the ones that are acting and are, are um, <clears throat> that are the ones that are, are ultimately accomplishing something here. It's just because of God. It's, it's through humility. That perspective, uh, that in love, you know, thinking of others first, makes a difference. Um, Arthur Brooks, uh, you know, pr- president of the American Enterprise Institute, you know, wrote an op-ed a couple of years ago I found interesting where um, you know, he says that the problem with discourse in America today is uh, motive, attribution, asymmetry. So this is basically saying that all my views are sort of bound in love, but Opposing views are ultimately based in hate. It's very binary, right? And it's very focused on our, my views are right and other people. The, the ultimate thing there is like is hate. This, and so let me, let me quote here. People often say that our problem in America today is incivility or intolerance. That is incorrect. Mode of attribution asymmetry leads to something far worse. Contempt which is a noxious brew of anger and disgust, and not just contempt for other people's ideas, but also for other people. And ultimately sees this as sort of the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another. So at the root, we're saying the root of the, the brokenness of discourse today is not love of other, but ultimately a deep mistrust and hate of others. That's the opposite of what we see here. That's the, we're, to, we're to love others. It doesn't always feel good. It's not always easy. But that's what we're called to do, to follow that, that, path, of, that path of Christ in, in humility. So... I don't have spelled out the, the, the solution for everything that ails America today in terms of the brokenness of, of, uh, of discourse. But I think we get some, an awesome glimpse into the restored kingdom of God and what that looks like when we're thinking of others first, serving others first, relying on God ultimately, um, and engaging others in humility and, and love. I think we, when we do that, we see the in-breaking in uh, of, the, of the kingdom. And something that we can even look, look to in, in deepest longing of a, ho- a holistic restoration through, through Jesus Christ when he, re- when he returns. You know, I think this ultimately, in a lot of ways, 
just like the way that Paul kind of flipped the Corinthians' logic on his head or made them recognize that the, um, the way that they were thinking wasn't, wasn't formed by the gospel, I think that's, that's something that we, we, we can do. We can engage. We can, when we come and listen to sermons, when we, when we pray together, when we're shaped, we allow ourselves to be shaped by the gospel, to be shaped by Jesus Christ, we, we, we build ourselves up through Christ in a way that allows us to engage in these, in these conversations, engage in these, in these disputes, engage in, um, in, in the world, in difficult times. Uh, so a prayer through Jesus Christ is that, that we would all seek him, follow his path um, as we engage the world. Uh, let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you for these words, these words, these ancient words from Paul about unity. God, help them to be, to speak to us today, uh, but not just this morning. Help us to carry them out into, into the world, in dispute with our, within our families, in disputes with, within our workplaces. Um, help us to be empowered through that and to have Christ-like perspective on the world, seeking others first and relying on God. In Jesus' name, amen.